Hey everybody, you probably couldn't tell, but that was an attempt at the Adventures in Odyssey theme song. Probably would have been copyrighted if it was a little closer to the tune, but I think we're okay. Today we're joined by special guest Paul McCusker, who was an executive producer for the Adventures in Odyssey shows for years and years, but as you'll hear, has also done quite a bit more than that. Most of his work revolves around story. So join us for a time of wonder, excitement, and discovery. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry, I'm done. Let's get to the conversation. I'm joined by a special guest today, Paul. Paul, I've heard your name since the time I was probably two or three years old at the end of Adventures in Odyssey cassette tapes. Our one of four boys and we used to argue about who would have to go flip the tape over when we're listening (laughs) at night but man your work is of course much broader than that too for someone in our audience who might not know your name describe a little bit about what it is you do for a living well i've i've done a variety of things over the years primarily story based um i guess i'm i'm probably best known for my work with the audio drama uh adventures and odyssey and for people who know that, uh, I mean, it's set in a small town and, and centered around um, some small town characters, but it was much bigger than that. It's, it's, it's a much bigger small town, you know, in terms of the kinds of stories we could tell, because we bounced around from, oh, just slice of life stories to, um, uh, to the kinds of stories, uh, even, even into fantasy and sci-fi at times. That's what's mm. so funny about the town of Odyssey. But um Audio dramas, um, also novels and things like that. Uh, I've, I've done a bit of writing in almost just about every discipline, I think, at this mm-hmm. point, even some film. And I did some of the scripts for the Adventures in Odyssey animation series uh, early on. But, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm a writer by trade and by profession, and, and uh, I consider that a great privilege, in fact. Mm. What is it about communicating through story, through narrative, that's so powerful, maybe even more powerful than just like a list of facts or ideas? What is it that you can do with a story that excites you so much? Communicating through story has always been part of what I do. And I think story works on such a different level uh, than, say, propositional truth or propositional anything. Um, and, And I sometimes I'll put it to uh, the great storytellers. I mean, many of them didn't actually write nonfiction, you know, but their greatest ideas tended to come through their storytelling. Mm-hmm. And um, as opposed to a proclamation, you know, something where you're, you're saying X, Y, and Z, and you're making a case for something or whatever that might be. Um, uh, that to me is, is a, a wonderful discipline for the people who do it effectively. And I do it a little bit in some of my writing but mostly it's just, it's story. It quickens the imagination. It gives you insight into life without overtly teaching necessarily. It's a great exploration of ideas and situations, uh, paradoxes and conundrums. I mean, it's just, it's all of those things. So uh, that's one of the reasons why, or uh, multiple uh, reasons why I I enjoy storytelling. Hmm. So from the radio theater platform, 
the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, I love those so much, but also mm. the Father Gilbert mysteries. You've you were behind like Ben Hur and even Little Women. Is that right? Some of those really. Cool yeah, characters? I worked with that. I mean, we've had others writers working on the Focus on the Family Radio Theater. Um, Philip Glassboro being one, Dave Arnold being another, but uh, I generally worked with them on those scripts. And and I see audio drama as a specific craft is also a different, it's a different discipline. It engages the mind in ways that on one end of the spectrum, you have, you know, uh, symbols that are on a page reading. What we take for granted is reading. The symbols become words, the words become paragraphs, the words are put together in a way that evoke and make the mind work in the imagination realm to picture what it is that's being written. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you're going to have like movies, uh, film, that sort of thing, where everything is sort of spelled out for you. Um, And that doesn't diminish it. It just means that as a discipline and a craft, it's operating in the brain and imagination in a different way. And somewhere in the middle, you have the audio dramas, which then demand that the brain imagine what you're hearing, the input that you're getting from dialogue and sound and music now becomes very vivid in a different way. And in many ways, sometimes more powerfully than say film where it's spelled out for you because you're in, you have to engage at a, at a deeper and more intimate level. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's what I, one of the things I think is the power of, of, of audio. I mean, we're doing it now. And when you stop and think about it, you and I are having a conversation, but people who are listening to this conversation in, in, in many respects, depending on where they're listening, they've got two voices speaking into their ears, mm. going into their minds, and and they're they're processing the dynamic. They may be imagining what you look like and what I look like, what where where I am and where you are, and all of that. So there's a higher level of engagement with mm. it, which I think is incredibly potent. Yeah, right. The brain gets working in a different way than if you're if everything's being fed to you, so to speak, from, from a picture on a, on a screen. And for listeners, just, you know, I'm extremely handsome. Don't look me up on social media or anything like that. But wow, very good looking guy. So just kidding. <laughs> so, yeah, that, I mean, that's fascinating to me, Paul. You've done some incredible, I love uh, your work with the, the Augustine Institute, St. Patrick, uh, the St. Francis Stories, mm. The Legends of Robin Hood. I actually listened to The Legends of Robin Hood on my way to work this morning. I, just, oh. <laughs> I love these. And I've got mm. children now. I've got four little girls. And we just love listening to stories mm. together. There's something really cool and even relational when we do that, that, mm-hmm. that we just love to do. Well, and that's the other dynamic is, is especially when you're dealing with something that you can do together. Obviously, reading is, is a little bit more solitary. But if you read to your kids and all of that, it's it's a time to bring families together. Um, and the same thing with audio. I mean, you can watch a movie together and watch TV together, but it's, again, it's a different dynamic. Whereas you gather as a family and you're sharing that more intense experience. I think it can really bring families together, especially for conversations afterwards. Mm-hmm. I remember for years playing Legos with my brother, with my brothers in our bedroom while listening to audio dramas or even something terrible, like being told we had to clean our room, we'd say, Hey, mm-hmm. let's, let's play, <laughs> let's play one of those stories while we do that. And it all of a sudden just changes the entire environment. Yeah, that's right. So Paul, do you have any kind of metric for a successful story? Let's say an audio production 
do you know when it when it clicks or when it works? And can you can you give any examples of experiencing that with your work? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, it's funny, the metrics vary, especially with something like audio drama, we as a team would talk about it, if we talked about our best episodes, for Adventures in Odyssey, or our best audio dramas in the radio theater realm, uh, it was usually a combination of factors, it would be not only starting with the script, and you had a solid script to work from, and then you got the right voices for those actors. And then those voices came together with sound effects and the sound effects hit the way they needed to. And then the music came in the way it needed to. Everything, all those components worked together in the way that they were supposed to, to create the totality of an experience. I mean, there were times when we say, oh, well, the script was good, but our execution wasn't. Or sometimes the execution of it through acting and through sound effect buoyed up the script. It actually made the script better than it was. Um, so to hit the sweet spot is sometimes what you experience when you got to go back and reread something you've written, or you go back and listen to the audio drama, or watch something, and you see that it, everything hit the way it was supposed to hit. That to me is kind of a metric for a kind of success. Uh, but as I said, sometimes it's a matter of, I go, well, you know, I think the script kind of hit everything that I wanted it to. And then, of course, the audience reaction helps, though you, mm-hmm. though it's sometimes funny where, uh, like with Adventures in Odyssey, we'd listen to an episode and, you know, if we were grading our episodes, say, well, you know, that was a B episode, maybe a B minus, but the fans went nuts over it. The listeners <laughs> loved it. For them, it was like an A plus because of whatever their experience was in listening to it. And and, and so it, it varies. Um, I remember a quote. I shouldn't say it's a quote, but I remember reading that the British composer, uh, Rafe Vaughn Williams, who I I love his work, um, somebody asked him what he thought of a particular symphony that he had written. And his answer was, well, I don't know that I like it, but it is what I intended to say. (laughs) And I thought how often that's the case, you know, where where you wind up writing something, you're going, well, this this is exactly what I wanted it to be. But I'm not even sure that I like it. You know, that there's sometimes you do things that are hard. It's like C.S. Lewis with screw tape letters. You know, he actually said it was, I think, the least favorite project for him to work on because of what it required him of him to do to write it. And he said it was like all grit and thirst and itch. Hmm. So it's it's an interesting dynamic when you when you have uh, something that. You can be, you say you're proud of writing, but you don't even know that you necessarily like it, but it is what you intended. And then the other times when it's a a blending of everything, you just have all the right things in the right places. I felt that way, by the way. Uh, I felt that way about uh, the St. Francis audio drama. Uh, I mean, I I enjoy and appreciate uh, the performances and everything. And, you know, I do my best with the script and everybody's bringing their best to the sound design. But there was something remarkable about the whole St. Francis experience from the writing to its final production that, that was just so unique and, and wonderful. It's become a point of reference, kind of, mm. of what it could be like and what it feels like when it all hits the way it should. Hmm. You mentioned Screwtape Letters. What was it like? Did you get to actually work with Andy Serkis in that production? Oh, yeah. I, I was the director on that. And uh, Andy was wonderful. Andy was amazing to work with. He 
He poured himself into the character. So it's not a reading. It's not, we said we're not doing an audio book. Um, there are plenty of those. We wanted screw tape and wormwood. Everybody is a character and brought in people to do that. Andy invested himself deeply into that. In fact, he later said that at the time it was the hardest work he had ever done. Hmm. And this was after crawling all fours as golf <laughs> five years. Right. But, right. Oh, but it was the merger of his performance with Lewis's, you know, Lewis's text can be very daunting, very dense. And I, I worked with it to turn it into dialogue and to do things with it. But the essence of it remains C.S. Lewis. And for him to merge performance with a delivery that makes sense of that very dense and intricate thinking was really hard work. But Andy was wonderful to work with. I, I would love to work with him again. Hmm. For the listeners who don't know who we're talking about, Andy Serkis played Gollum or was the, the voice and the, the movements of Gollum in The Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't heard Paul's production of the Screwtape Letters, you've got to go find it. It is excellent. That is one of your, your few things, Paul, that you've created that I didn't like listening to before bed, though, because Andy <laughs> is so good. I mean, he just mm-hmm. really pours himself into it and brings it to life in a cool well, way. Well, and I, I don't even recommend listening to it back to back. My <laughs> recommendation is you pretty much want to go like letter to by letter and, and process that and digest it. Uh, don't roll all the way through and listen to it like one continuous thing. Mm-hmm. It, it could be just overwhelming, I think. Paul, can you tell us a little bit about your your spiritual journey and some of those key moments along the the way? Well, you know, it's interesting the and and, and the merger between the writing and my spiritual journey. Um, somebody pointed out to me very late in my life that for every significant movement in my spiritual life, um, there's usually been some kind of a book, a story attached. And I hadn't even thought about that in terms of my relationship with with Christ, for example. I grew up in, we went to several different uh, Protestant churches. I mean, it was, I think I was uh, christened in you know, a Presbyterian church, but my formative years were spent in the Baptist church. And, and so, you know, I had vacation Bible school. We had Sunday school every Sunday. We had all of the, the storytelling and information about Jesus and what it meant to be in a relationship with him. Um, and... It was the book Greatest Story Ever Told by Fulton Orsler that when I read that and read the um, the account of the crucifixion there, it all came home to me. And I was probably in seventh grade. I was, what, 11, 12 years old. And it all, suddenly everything I had learned, everything I'd been told, everything I'd been taught just came together in this chapter. And suddenly I, I knew I needed the relationship with Christ as my Savior and to, to go into a relationship with him in that way, confess, and it, you know, basically repent, admit my sins and repent. Because what was overwhelming to me is that he died for me. And the story made that very real. Uh, he died for me. And, and, and in making that real for me in a heartfelt way, uh, I remember reading in my room and then actually getting on my knees in my bedroom and accepting Christ, to use that phrasing. So, Paul, reflecting on some of your own story, do you have any wisdom you can offer? This podcast is geared uh, mostly toward educators or Christian schools. 
how do you foster creativity in students? I don't know if you're even familiar with Bloom's taxonomy, but it's this kind of picture of knowledge and and or learning and the, the base levels just like can you memorize a fact and then one up from that is can you can you understand it to the point of explaining it putting it in your own words and the very top of this of this graphic is to create to make something mm-hmm. how, how do you encourage that in students well and i think i think it's tough I, i'll tell you the encouragement for me in my life as as in elementary school moving into um, and, and, well, throughout, uh, all the way through high school, was were the teachers that went out of their way to encourage me in the storytelling, encourage me in what I was trying to do. Uh, on the flip side, fortunately, I didn't have teachers who were trying to discourage me. Um, uh, they 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 were very tolerant and accepting of of that. Um, and by the way, I'm I'm. I think there is value in learning things by rote and, and learning how to put them into your own words. Uh, I lament the loss of the ability to uh, that I perceive right now the, to take another position and argue it. In other words, uh, like uh, maybe they still do this in schools, but uh, basically to take a position that is not yours, you do not agree with it, but you have to champion it in a debate because that forces us to see the other side. And that as a writer is important. Otherwise, my characters are going to be flat. My characters are going to be cliched. Whether I'm writing a story about Mother Teresa or Hitler, I have got to take that side as a writer to give a fair balance to the character to make the character flesh and blood. I need to understand them and understand why they did what they did, even if I don't agree with it, um, in order to flesh them out as a character. And I think the discipline of that, a foundation of knowledge of history, of, of all the disciplines, learning for the sake of discipline, I think is important. You know, all, and I grew up saying the same thing. You know, why do I learn algebra? Nobody's ever going to stop me on the street and ask me a question about algebra. <laughs> you know what? And in my entire life, that's been true. Nobody, algebra has played a very small role in my overall life. And, but the fact is the discipline of learning things just to make the brain learn. It's like muscle memory. It's like exercise. So I think there's value in that, but I think allowing kids to have the place for the expression, to have the place to play, to read. I mean, I think the best writers tend to be good readers. They read a lot. They're absorbing, constantly observing uh, observing, and then writing. I encourage kids to keep a journal, whether they're drawing in it or writing just notes about things that they see. Um, if they're interested in the arts, then watch and listen, pick up what people are doing and how they say what they say, pick up the images around you. You know, if you're interested in graphics, how are you looking at things? No matter how mundane it is, you know, that stop sign set against this particular pine tree. I mean, whatever the setting is, um, we're watching, we're always watching. There's no, by the way, there's no, and this has been said over and over again, there is absolutely no experience in life that isn't so good or so bad that there isn't a part of you as a writer that isn't off to the side going, I could make that into a story. <laughs> I've been at, I've been at funerals watching, not consciously, but aware that I'm looking at what people are doing and what they're saying and how they're responding to death. And there's a part of me that's making notes because I'll probably wind up writing a scene or have a chapter in a book in which it's going to be a funeral. And 
I'll call on the memory of the experience. Um, I mean, whether it's a car accident, whether it is a family catastrophe or a joy of my children being born, whatever it is, there's a part of me taking notes. Hmm. And I think for teachers to encourage kids in that on both the, the one side, of course, which is learning for the sake of learning because we need it. But on the other side of, of let's just call it, say, joyful observation, where they're able to look at their lives a little differently. They're able to look at their good experiences and bad experiences and try to filter those into storytelling or into art or into music, whatever it may be from the arts community. And just encouragement from teachers is inspiring. Hmm. Teach, uh, the, the inspiring. The teachers I remember are the ones that inspired sometimes that had nothing to do with me. I mean, when I had a teacher who was enthusiastic about the story behind the Russian Revolution, because we were learning about the Russian Revolution. It could have been dry facts, but I had a teacher who made that come alive in, in a reality, Rasputin, all of that. She just obviously enjoyed it, communicated it. I've had other teachers. I mean, I wish I had more science teachers who uh, were more contagious and infectious in their love of science to help me to love science the way that they did or to see it the way they did. I'm deficient in that area. Um, and I'm not trying to put the blame on the teachers. I'm just saying that the inspiring teachers are the ones that are there and enthusiastic and then can move that enthusiasm uh, to the kids. And, and it's not about relevancy. It's just about inspiration. Not all things that inspire us are always relevant but we absorb them and we take them into our lives in a way that shows up later hmm. sometimes without our even being conscious that we're doing it. I apologize for rambling. I, I think that's, it's such a wide open question. It's kind yeah. of hard to know what exactly to say, except I know that the teachers who inspired me did it in part because they were encouraging and in part because they were enthusiastic about what they were teaching um, and, and if nothing else, they were teachers who didn't get in the way of my obvious passion for drawing or telling stories or whatever. Uh, they didn't, they didn't slam me for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that you talk about the ability to observe, I, I think for a writer, probably that's directly tied to the ability to then tell the truth in storytelling, right? If, if, if you can't express things, characters, events in a way that rings true with a reader yeah. that's probably because you, you didn't observe the life happening around you very well yeah or we get caught up in our own agenda in other words yeah. um, you yeah. see it in a lot of stories where you just need the character to move from point a to point b your plot demands that it moves from this to this so you just make them do it whether it makes sense or not because you needed them to do it mm. whereas you know the best stories are looking at character motivation there's a reason why we're moving from this point to this point and we're doing what we're doing in whichever direction it's going and whatever the story is. Um, and that's part of the imagination. That's part of the great game of what if that we play in storytelling, you know, what if this, what if that, uh, we're, uh, so much of storytelling is just starting with a what if, and you're playing it out in your mind. If this happens, then that happens. And you want it to be interesting. You want it to be compelling to whoever you're writing for. Um, all of that's kind of, bundled up in the totality of the experience. 
Paul McCusker, you're a hero of mine. So mm. grateful to have you on the show. Can you give us a little uh, teaser of anything you're working on? Anything upcoming? Well, I have been working on um, some new kids stories at the Augustine Institute. Uh, it's a kids series called "What the Whole World is Like Hope Springs. It's a small Colorado town. And it's called Hope Springs. And But within that, I've sort of mapped out the ability, I sort of have the ability to tell stories for whatever age group I need to, whether it's kindergarten or whether it's first reader or whether it's the 12, kind of the uh, 10 to 14 year old range, or even if I want to do college stories or grown up stories. Um, I have the world, I'm mapping out this world so I can do that. It's sort of like the Marvel universe where things are interconnected, but off to the side, you know, and you don't necessarily have to know one thing in order to enjoy the other. So I have been working on story time travel stories um, that took a couple of modern kids back to in the first book to Robin Hood and the second to Joan of Arc and in the third to the Elizabethan period um, uh, Eric uh, Edmund Campion and others um, when Elizabeth was queen and um, uh, and then I've got some first reader books that I'm doing for that series I've got a few more of those that I need to write I've done six so it's uh, the time travel is called the Virtue Chronicles. The other is the Adventures of Nick and Sam, but all of them are kind of bundled up in this Hope Springs universe. Hmm. Oh, that sounds awesome, Paul. Thanks so much for joining us today. It, it was a real gift, and I'm grateful to have had you on the show. Mm, my pleasure. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure you subscribe to the Lighting a Fire podcast so you don't miss an episode. As always, feel free to email me with questions or ideas at bruss, B-R-U-S-S, at hollandchristian.org. In partnership with Christian Schools International, this is Lighting a Fire.